You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we have Bradley King, who's a Tony Award-winning lighting designer who has worked on amazing shows like Town and The Great Comet. Bradley has also worked on several corporate events with Samsung, Microsoft, Target, and several other huge brands. I'm so excited to have him here today. Hi, Bradley. Hi, Mason. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Can you walk me through how you got to where you are working on so many notable productions? Sure. Um, It was a lot of luck and a lot of help, but um, pretty much like most of us in the entertainment industry, I thought I was going to be an actor in my early days. Um, And so I always like to tell people that I went to a high school with a nationally ranked football program and a theater program that was a in the lower sub-basement. But I was very lucky in ninth grade, I had this wonderful drama teacher named Mike Himmelfarb, who uh, fresh out of college, came back to teach at my high school and pretty much built a theater program or reinvigorated a theater program uh, from the ground up. So he got me very involved in not just acting and not just singing, but also sort of every aspect of putting on a production. So while I was also auditioning and while I was also in the shows, I was hanging lights and I was building scenery and I was sewing costumes and I was figuring out how to make sound cues. And we did some fantastic shows in you know the, the standards. We did Into the Woods, we did Once Upon a Mattress, we did uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. We did Shakespeare and then Throughout high school, I had a group of friends who were all doing this with me, and one of them was a um, musical genius by the name of Derek Wang, um, who is enjoying quite a bit of success with an opera called Scalia Ginsburg at the moment. But Derek wrote a musical called Prom, not The Prom. It has nothing to do with the current prom, the musical, Um, but it was called Prom, and it was about prom. And Derek wrote this entirely on his own, and I got to direct it. And my friends designed it. And that was pretty much the entirety of my senior year of high school, which cemented the idea for me that I wanted to go to New I, I wanted to go to New York and I wanted to be an actor. So I ended up at NYU. I was very lucky to end up at NYU. And over the course of my time at NYU, I again wanted to do everything. I wanted to act. I especially wanted to direct. I had a great time directing prom. And so after my first year at NYU, I sort of started narrowing my path down. And I thought, well, you know what, directing is really, really more in my bag than acting is. And one of the hallmarks of my directing program in NYU undergrad was I only got to direct one show, but I had 10 classmates who were also directing shows and they needed designers. So because I had done all of this stuff in high school, because I knew which end of a light the light came out of, 
they said, hey, Bradley, will you design lights for my week three show? Hey, will you design my week five show? So I ended up like designing lights for six or seven of those 10 shows that semester. And I realized I really liked it. And what I especially liked about it was the fact that people weren't looking to me for the answers like they were when I was directing a show. Um, so it was a little bit lower key. Uh, and it was uh, something that really spoke to me. And I had a fantastic lighting design teacher at NYU named Lenore Doxy, um, who we were very unfortunate to lose a few years ago. Um, and Lenore taught me so much about how to use color and how to use shape and how to really think about a space and how to think about the text as I was designing it. And Lenore sent me down a path of um, some really fantastic internships, one at Glimmerglass Opera, which is now Glimmerglass Festival, where I learned how repertory opera works and how you can get a show on stage at 10 a.m. and focus it and be ready for a 2 p.m. performance and then get rid of it at five o'clock and get another set on stage and be ready for a uh, production of a different opera that night at eight. And then after that internship, she set me up um, with one at Seattle Repertory Theater. And the most amazing thing about my internship at Seattle Repertory Theater was it was a true design internship. It was not an electrics internship. I really enjoyed being an electrician and I liked hanging lights and I liked focusing and I liked figuring out how everything worked, but I really wanted to be a designer. And the internship at Seattle Rep was a true design internship. It was a local IA house, so I wasn't allowed to touch anything. So I got to sit next to people like Hal Binkley and Don Holder and Jane Cox, um, all of whom really became friends and mentors to me as I tried to launch this nascent career back in New York. And piecing together, doing my own tiny shows in New York, assisting on slightly larger ones for folks like Don and Jane and Hal, um, that set me back on the path to eventually graduate school. I held off on graduate school until I knew exactly what I wanted to get out of it. And in my case, I knew, a, I did not want to pay for it, so I was not going to go anywhere that didn't offer me a scholarship. And B, uh, I wanted just time to sit with a process from start to finish and not rush through it and not have to worry about getting it up on stage, like truly take my time with a text or a piece of music and come up with a, a solid foundation for a design process. Um, so that's what I was lucky enough to get out of NYU. And then I had gone to college with this young lady named Rachel Chavkin, who called me up one day and said, hey, I've got this really weird pop opera by this composer, Dave Malloy, and I think you'd be a really good fit for it. Um, and I interviewed at Ars Nova one day in 2012, and then fast forward four years, and we opened it on Broadway. And that's sort of like the perfect encapsulation of my career right there, is just being lucky enough uh, to be in the right place at the right time with a lot of great people behind me. So that's kind of my five minute spiel on how I got where I am now. That's an amazing story. So when this episode is released, there's about seven or eight weeks until Hades Town reopens on Broadway, which leads me to the question of um, how involved are you with conversations as they reopen? That's a great question. Um, we're still sort of figuring that out. I've been involved in a lot of conversations as part of USA 829, which is the designers union about how everyone's going to be coming back to work safely and what we need and what we should be asking for to make that happen. In terms of the individual shows, you know, rebooting a show like Hades Town, in theory, I shouldn't be needed for. 
because we basically hit pause in March. The show had been up and running for not quite a year. We were almost to hit, uh, or we were about to hit our one year anniversary when we got shut down. And I have a fantastic team of electricians at The Curve who are responsible for sort of the maintenance and the day-to-day operations of the show. So they are totally capable of handling the restart on their own without me. I'm sure it's going to be very difficult for me to stay out of that room just because we are all so dying to be back in a room with each other once again. Um, But really beyond just making sure that we're all on the same page and that we ease back into it and we don't try and rush it or do it unsafely, you know, being out of work and not exercising those muscles, not literal muscles, but, you know, the mental muscles of doing a show that you've been doing eight times a week, um, you can't just jump back into that. It needs to happen slowly and methodically and safely. So that's what we've been talking about. You know, what was the world of theater like when we left and what was the world of Broadway like when we left and what kind of world do we want to come back to is another big conversation that we're having right now. So there's been lots of discussion. Fortunately, we, we still have some time before we're all back in a room together, but um, I'm also grateful that we have some really amazing producers who are committed to um, answering these questions. So we're very lucky. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. And you said that Rachel had asked you to be a part of a show that opened on Broadway. Is that how you go into most shows or is there an interview process? How does that all work? It really depends. Um, certainly when I was fresh out of school, um, I would say it was like 50-50. Like I had met friends in school who became directors or choreographers um, who would call me up and just say, hey, Bradley, will you come do this tiny show with me in a basement for no money? And I love these people. So I would say, yes, of course, I will come do this tiny show in a basement for no money. And then um, I would be introduced to other directors who would say, hey, I've, I'm thinking about you for a project. I'd like to come talk to you. Can you show me some of your work? The further away I get from school and sort of my early career, the less that is a thing, just simply because I'm lucky enough to sort of have people know who I am and like what my deal is. So they're already uh, thinking that I'm, they don't, it's not an unknown as to whether or not they'll want um, what I do as part of their project. Any conversation we have is more like, are are we going to get along as people and collaborators? So definitely that part of the conversation is still a thing but I've, I'm less reliant on my portfolio now than I was, say, 10 years ago. Yeah, and I'm going to move into more design-oriented questions. So a huge thing nowadays in musical theater is moving fast and fast transitions. Along with that, um, you have interactive, interactive sets like The Great Comet had throughout the audience. 
So the big challenge is lighting everything and making it flow together and not be robotic. So how do you conquer this challenge and make everything look flawless time and time again? That's the, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I think it was, don't quote me on this. I think it was Des McEnough who said that directing is just transitions, but whoever said that, I think there's a lot of truth to that, um, that the show lives in the space between the moments. And that's really what lighting design is too. Um, you can create the most beautiful cue in the world, but eventually you have to go somewhere with it. And so that's what like the real challenge of not only expressing lighting design, like talk, like even just talking about it, you can talk about states and you can talk about cues and you can do renderings, you can do research, you can point to, it's gonna look like this hopper painting. It's going to look like this, this Friedrich sky, you know, you can show all these images but you are missing the very critical time aspect of all of this because lighting exists in time. It is light in space in time. So it, I don't know honestly how I do it. I, um, I have a couple of thoughts as to why I enjoy it and why I might be good at it. One is I studied piano for 15 or 18 years of my life. And I really think of lighting design as music, just visual music composition. And my tools in a light plot are exactly the same as instruments in an orchestra. And just as their Beethoven had strings and woodwinds and percussion, I have spots and washes and strip lights. And it's how you assemble those things together into making something harmonious that sort of, that's where I find the most interest and the most love in lighting design, which is also why I really like doing musicals because I am scoring along to something that already exists. So I find that much easier, but it's really just being tuned into the room and what's going on and being aware of all of these elements and then learning how they all fit together um, to orchestrate something. Absolutely. In a few years back, you did an interview with someone, I can't remember who right now, but you were talking about how there's not much color in Great Comet. It's all very warm until like 20 minutes into the show. Um, how did yeah. that come to mind? What was going through your head when you were considering that? Well, that was a, almost a happy accident. Um, and this was, again, something that I was very fortunate to have, which was Great Comet on Broadway was the fourth iteration of that show. So I had done it three times before. So it was like building layers of, on top of layers and on top of layers. Uh, and there was a lot in the Broadway production of Great Comet um, that was planted or seeded in uh, Ars Nova on uh, the Upper West Side. So specifically that color journey was because at Ars Nova, there was literally no color other than the white of the lights that we used, except maybe a little bit of red in a strip light because the whole thing was lit with light bulbs, just bare light bulbs. And it's really hard to color a bare light bulb. So Ars Nova was entirely just warm incandescent light when we moved to the tent, which was project number two, we had a few moving lights. So those could change color. And it was just kind of a happy accident that I, I wasn't planning on using the color in the moving lights. I was just thinking of them as these are just movable specials. We're gonna tune the color so that it matches the light bulbs. We're not gonna start going crazy here. Um, and then almost by accident, Rachel was just like, can we see what this looks like in blue? And it was so stunning, mostly because 
our eyes, our eyes just weren't used to it. We've been sitting in warm incandescent light for half an hour of show at that point. Um, so that when that blue hits the, I can't remember if it's the rods or the cones, but if when it hits the rods and the cones in your eye, um, your eye is just desperate to see that color. And so it hits you all the more richer. So that was something that we were able to like identify as, oh, this is working really well and make sure that we carry it forward. That's amazing. So I know that I struggled with this, but do you ever doubt yourself in your vision? And if so, how do you get yourself to know that you know what you're doing? Oh, that's such a great question. And of course the answer is yes. I like, I panic every, it's slightly subsiding now or it was before work stopped. But like, I never knew if I put the lights in the right place. Every time I did a light plot, I'm like, oh, are these lights where I need them to be? Is this side light gonna work? Am I gonna hit scenery? Like that, that for me never went away. Um, and it really was just over and over again, either, yeah, they're in the right place and you should stop panicking over this. Or you know what? They're not in the right place and you can move them. That's not a big deal. So just learning how to sort of have grace with yourself, I think is a really important thing to remember. It's also very important to remember that we are not doing brain surgery and lives are not at stake. So like, let's everyone take a deep breath and chill because we're doing make-believe theater, uh, which is of course very important, but is not immediately important in the same way that brain surgery is. And I'm sure I'm gonna have a whole new set of anxieties having not been at a tech table for, I guess about almost exactly 18 months because the first time I will be sitting down at one is probably at Hadestown. Have I completely forgotten how to do my job or have I completely forgotten how this works? I don't know, maybe, I suspect not, but that's ever present in my head. So yeah, I think grace with ourselves and grace with each other is extremely important in these times. Yeah, that's so important. So do you have any more advice you would like to share with future lighting designers or just tech people wanting to make it? <laughs> That's, you know, I, I never know what to say to that. Uh, it is such a, a valid question and one I still don't have a good answer for. Um, I sort of have a couple of guiding principles, one of which is um, it's okay to change your mind. And like, it was always told to me, like, if you can find literally anything else that you want to do, you should do it because this is going to be like so hard. And like, yes, that's true to an extent. Um, a career in the arts is hard. Is it harder than many other careers? I, I don't know. I can't really compare it to that. I do think that if you stop loving what you are doing, you should go find something else to do um, because most of us are too young to, to lock ourselves into a decision like that. Like, I think it's slightly insane that at the age of 18, we ask everyone to say, all right, pick something that you're gonna do for the rest of your life and then expect that it's not going to change. That seems very silly to me. Um, so that's a big one. This is very niche and, and sort of uh, dogmatic, but I will insist until the day I die that you should never go to grad school until A, you know why you wanna go and B, um, you should never pay for it. And I do stand by that because a career in the arts will not make you wealthy. Um, or not even pay you the comparative wealth that a career in law or medicine could, and yet you're paying just as much money as someone going to med school or law school. So bear that in mind. And see, like, be nice to each other. No, nothing is accomplished by screaming. Again, we're not doing brain surgery. It is not that urgent. Be kind um, is really what I want to leave this world. 
Yeah, I think that was a pretty good answer. <laughs> um, so this is my 30th time asking this in an interview, but do you prefer education or experience in your career? Oh, well, you know, I don't know how you separate those two because education is experience and experience is education. So like I, I prefer curiosity and I prefer, um, again, kindness. Uh, and I like meeting good humans and good collaborators, but like, I, I truly don't think you can separate those two things. And I, like, I heard someone say recently that like the thing people are missing coming out of school is professional experience. And that made my head explode a little bit because as another friend of mine said, that's like, you know, blaming an someone who wants to be an astronaut for never having walked on the moon. So like, yes, you, you need experience to become good at anything, but the root of that is education. So that's a very, very wishy-washy answer to your question, but I think it's the best I have right now. My last question is, what have you been doing during your time in quarantine that should soon be over? Oh my, I've uh, started and abandoned so many hobbies you would not believe. Um, well, first and foremost, um, I have been full-time dad and caretaker to my two little girls, Emmy and Rosie, which has been alternately like horrible for everyone, but also really, really special for me to be able to spend that time with them because Lord knows I traveled enough in the before times um, and missed a lot of those moments. Um, so that's priority number one. But then when that wasn't occupying my full attention, I did calligraphy. I learned how to illuminate manuscripts. I dry aged my own beef. I bought a lot of Lego sets. I attempted to tune my own piano. I do not recommend that. Um, what else? Did, oh, I bought a new set of golf clubs, which I have not really used. I have just been like cycling through uh, anything that pops in front of me on the internet in a really bad way, but I've been keeping busy, I guess. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up this episode? Uh, I'm just gonna say it again, be kind to yourself and be kind to one another and let's all be in a theater one day soon and get vaccinated, that's it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and I hope I can meet you someday in person soon. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Mason. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org, because only together we rise.